In Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 17, the writer of Proverbs says, There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. I don't know of much different verse that we could start off with as we, we deal with a difficult topic this morning but a topic that is very much a part of our society. It's very much a part of our world, whether we acknowledge it or not. A topic that, a topic that the world cares little about, but God cares much about. And, and that if we are to be the light of the world, as we just sang, we're going to have to talk about. We're going to have to address and even stand against, and that is the topic of abortion. One definition of abortion I found was the spontaneous or induced termination of a pregnancy after or accompanied by resulting in or closely following by the death of the embryo or of the fetus. There are many different ways that, that this takes place. There, there are chemical means where, where children in the womb are, are burned almost into nothingness. There, there are there are methods wherein they are chopped into pieces and then removed. There are things like partial birth, abortion. The, the, the grotesqueness of this subject is one that ought to shock us. And I don't want to spend a great deal of time beyond to say, if you're not shocked by what abortion is, then, then do a little bit of research about what abortion is. If you're still not shocked, then look at some pictures of what abortion is. Uh, but I warn you, if those things don't give you nightmares, then, th- then you, you're not looking at the same things I've seen, things that you can't unsee, but that are very much a part of our world today, of our culture and of our society today. It is this subject of abortion. The last records I could find from the CDC were from the year 2019 where there were recorded 630,000 abortions committed in that year. What that means is that there were 630,000 children who exist inside of their mother's womb all at different points on the process of development and their lives were taken from them. Their lives were terminated. One of the most telling quotes I think that I've I've ever heard, I always come back to it as a quote from John MacArthur, when he said that America as a nation is highly committed by law and by practice to a form of mass murder. And we need to understand that. We need to understand that not only in regards to our own personal spiritual lives, but also in regards to our, to our role as light in this world of darkness. We live in an evil world, and we live in a world that is full of evils. And I can still remember, I can still remember when our son was very young, and, and, and he, asked, he asked Shelley one day, he asked her, he said, Is that really true that people kill their babies inside of them? A child asked that question thinking, surely that's not true. Surely no one would ever do those things. 
Mothers, is that a question that you're ready to answer for your children? Fathers, is that a question you're ready? I, I, don't, want to, I don't really want to talk about it this morning. But the main reason I don't want to talk about it is because the answer is, yeah, that happens every day. Every single day. Every single year, over a half a million children are aborted, are murdered in their mother's womb. Some of the debate rages around, well, what exactly is going on? Is that really a child? For me, this is where this issue becomes a make or break issue. If that is life that is in a mother's womb, then it's wrong. No matter the circumstances. There are no exemptions. Our politicians like to always give us exemptions that they're opposed or they're for based on this situation or that situation. But to understand, if it really is life, if it really is life in the womb, then, then, then there, are no, ex- there are, no, are no exceptions to, to that being a form of murder or the taking of a life. If it's not life, if it's not life, then, then it's just a medical procedure. It really doesn't matter. And so, and so we, we, we turn, and we've talked before about, about some of the scientific evidence for life. I'm not going to do that this morning. I, I'm just going to assume that you understand some of those things and, and understand how the Word of God speaks of life even in the womb that idea of conception the beginning of life being an act of God we're not talking about a baby an hour after they're born or an hour before they're born we're talking about we're talking about that moment of conception when someone is actually with child it's not a process that, that will lead to life, but it is indeed life itself. It is a reward from God. The psalmist would say in Psalm 127 and verse 3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Where'd you get those kids from? Where'd you get your kids from? Dale, where'd you get your kids from? God. They are a gift of God. In Genesis chapter 17, you know, one of the things that we find in the, in the Old Testament, one of the things that we find is, is that barrenness was considered a curse from God. There are people even today who struggle with infertility. We don't necessarily call it barrenness anymore, but it's the same thing. I don't have a child. There are people even in our midst this morning People that you know, people that you love, that want to have a child, but for whatever reason they have not, or that they cannot have another child. And so in Genesis chapter 17 and verse 16, we have language such as this, and I will bless her, and I will give you a son by her. In the book of Ruth, when we when we read about Ruth and, and God's deliverance of, of Ruth. The Bible says that the Lord says that he went, he, her husband, went into her and the Lord gave her conception. I want us to understand that for all of the physical elements that might lead to the birth of a child, that conception is an act of God. God is the one who will determine 
if you will, whether the womb will be open or whether the womb will be closed. Your children are a gift from God. We, we don't understand that in our world today. So often we speak of children as, as this incredible burden. And I think some of that mentality may lead us to some of the societal evils that we face today. But whatever the case, I need to understand that my children are a gift that has come from God. And that conception is an act of God. Why does God give to some and not give to others? Those are questions for another time. But wherein we trust in God's sovereign plan that He has given those things. In the book of Exodus, in the book of Exodus, where, where the law is being given to the people, and we, we have some understanding about how God sees life, even in the womb. You know, we have debates in our world today about when life really begins. And what you're seeing. What you're seeing in our world today, I think it was about a year and a half ago where, where there were some instances where, where the governor of, of Virginia, I believe it was, what, what was on the radio and he was, talking, he was talking about how it was okay to take a child even, even sometime after that child had been born. He was talking about infanticide. But he said it as like a very normal thing. Well, of course, that's not really a real life. We talk, about, we talk about children. We talk about children who are aborted. And I think, I think about my own daughter. My daughter was two months premature. Two months. And there were some developmental things that, that were going on. She didn't, even, she didn't have the ability to suck on a bottle. She figured it out. Eventually, three weeks later, of, of, of care for, for nurses. But I think, I think there are people... I think about the fact that there are people who would say it's completely okay to take that child and to chop it into pieces at that point in their life. There are people that say that. How disgusting is that? Let me just tell you that when my daughter was born, she, I, I, if I thought about it, I would have showed you some pictures. She, she saw some of the pictures when she was a little girl and she started crying. It was kind of scary. If, if you've ever had a premature child and, you know, this was crooked and that wasn't, I mean, it, it was just not fully developed. But I'm going to tell you, she was very much alive. That life was very valuable. And I look at her and I think she was too much premature, but, but there are children that are born far more premature than that. Maybe some of you, maybe some of your children or your grandchildren, maybe even you that are sitting here today. And there are people that would say it's okay to kill a child at that point when that child could be delivered and, and live a full life. In Exodus chapter 21, when the law speaks of this, it says if men fight and they hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows, she shall surely be punished according to the woman's husband as he imposes on him. And he shall pay as the judge determines. But, but if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life. You see, God acknowledges in, in, passages, in passages just like this that that being that is, in, that is in the womb, you remember feeling them kick? You remember? 
the, the, the fact that there was a child that existed within you, it's, it's this, amazing, this amazing thing that you can carry life within you. That is life. And that if you take that life, it is worthy of you losing your life. But for some reason in our world, we've decided that it's not life. Even the very first proclamation of the gospel in Luke chapter 1 and verse 41 The Bible says it came about that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, that the baby leaped in her womb. Do we understand that one of the very first individuals to rejoice over the fact that the Savior had come into the world? It wasn't the wise men. It was a child still yet in the womb. On and on, this idea of life being in the womb. We, we have to understand that when we begin to devalue that as life, and, and you know part of the thought process is, well, they're not fully developed. There are certain things that they can't do. When you begin to, de- which, is, which is true, right? If you've, once again, if you've ever had a premature child, you understand that, that, that they are very, very fragile. It's scary enough to hold a baby. You hold a premature baby, I mean, whew, that they're fragile. They need some help. And so people devalue them, them as having life. But does that change even when one is born? If you just take a newborn and you say, all right, welcome to the world, have at it. Well, what's going to happen? It's not going to make it. That child can't function on its own. But if I set that as the standard, that you have to be fully functioning and fully fully self-supporting in order to have life or life that has value, that's not going to stay in the womb. That's going to go long after birth. And by the way, it goes to the other end of the spectrum because what starts to happen in our lives as we age? What starts to happen as we age? We start to be able to be less and less self-dependent. Do we not? Is that still life that has value? Well, if you have to have full, full use of your resources in order to have value, do, do we wonder why, why we're having discussions in our society about the idea of euthanasia? About the idea that, well, you've done your time and you're not really, you're just a drain now, so you might as well just, just lose your life because it's not really worth living. Do we wonder why people are put into nursing homes to be forgotten? Does that happen? Does that happen? Because, Brenda, you spent a lot of time in a nursing home, right, caring for your mother who, had, who, who could not take care of herself, right? Did she have value? You better believe she did. Her life had value. It was worth working for and fighting for and caring for. But yet there are people every single day that are not worked for, they are not lived for, they are not fought for, they are not cared for every single day. That happens, does it not? Why? It's because we've devalued life. Some people will talk about a culture of death that is so prevalent in our society. And I just want to make sure we understand we're not just talking about babies when we talk about life and death. We're talking about the other side of life. And, and even, listen, you can go into the middle of life when you talk about birth defects. One of the things that we've talked about before is we've talked about how in many parts of the world that, that, that issues like Down syndrome have been completely 
They have been completely eradicated. They do not have people with Down syndrome in many parts of the world. Do you know why? Because they kill them before they can ever be born. That's the reality of it. Because they say that's not a life worth living. And I think about little Rosalie. Is there a life worth living there, Robert? Man, you better believe there's life that's worth living there. But yet, even in our country, where it's not been completely eradicated, listen, some, somewhere upwards of 90% of children that are diagnosed with that, with that disorder are terminated. That's the world that we live in. We live in this world, we live in this culture, this society that, that is by law and practice committed to a form of mass murder. David would say in Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, he would say of God, for thou didst form me, for, for thou didst form my inward parts, thou didst weave me in my mother's womb. I give thanks to thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are thy works, and my soul knows it very well. Thine eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in thy book they were all written, the days they were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. David talks about how amazing it is that life can be brought into the world. That a life can come forth from, from the union of a husband and a wife. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes we even talk about the miracle of childbirth. To understand, while it's not a, 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 a miracle in the way, in the way that, the, that the New Testament uses that terminology, it is something that ought to make us be in awe of the fact that there is a child that is being born. David says these things. He'd never even seen an ultrasound. Never seen an ultrasound. He didn't really know much about the whole process. He couldn't have known much about the whole process. We do. We do. We, we read about children, the, the, the idea that at eight weeks old that they can suck their thumb and respond to sound and recoil to pain. The organs are functioning. They even have fingerprints. They even have fingerprints. Even in the womb. Listen. This is, this is an, we need to understand that if our question is, is it life in the womb? The Bible gives us a resounding, absolutely it is life that is in the womb. And the Bible only echoes what, what science ought to be very clear about. That is life in the womb. That is a human being. In many cases, which when taken outside of the womb, continues to function, continues to live as much as you do or I do. One of, one of the things that, that's come about, these, these 3D ultrasounds, they didn't have those when my kids were, were coming up, but you guys seen some of those? You, you, you can, well, I remember when they showed us an ultrasound, they, they showed it to us and they said, told me what it was, and I said, I, I take your word for it, brother. I, I don't know. It was, it, was, it was this interesting picture, but, but now, now, I mean, it's, it's like Hubby's got his camera and he's taking a picture. It's like, there's my kid. And it, it, it looks like me or it looks like it's mama. And it, it, it's one of those things that, that ought to really get our attention, oughtn't it? There was the, uh, the lady several years ago who had 
who had been an advocate for, through, through Planned Parenthood and assisted in many, in many different abortions. But I remember that what she said was when she saw the first 3D ultrasounds, she quit. She quit her job and she said, what have we been doing? Because that's obviously a human being. That's obviously a life. There is life that is in the womb. But can I, can I help us to understand that in our culture, I said before that for me the issue of life is open and shut. If it is life, then there are no exceptions. If it's not life, then why are we even talking about it? Well, the Bible very clearly says that it's life, but sometimes we think that that's the major debate. And, and I, hope, I hope that there are many people who have, who have enough, enough godliness and morality about them to acknowledge that if it is life, then it is murder and therefore it is sin. But we live in a culture, if you will listen to what people are saying, that says this doesn't really have anything to do with life. They don't really care that it's life. You can look at the 3D ultrasound in a picture that looks just like its mama, and, and that, really doesn't, that really doesn't touch. That doesn't touch the heart. It doesn't touch, it doesn't touch the mind. See, for them, it all comes down to choice and the fact that I want to do what I want to do. I, I want to share just a couple quotes with you. This one from Merle Hoffman. Um, Merle, is, she's a woman a major voice for abortion rights, uh, and a founder of Choices, uh, which is a, a center for abortions there in New York City. She, and she wrote in her memoir called Intimate Wars. I just want you to listen to, to, to what she said uh, in talking about <clears throat> this whole discussion about life and what is life and what is not life. She says, the, the pro-choice movement had to find a way to navigate these narratives, she explains, well, the simplest option was to negate the claims of the opposition. And so many pro-choice advocates claim that the fetus was not alive and that abortion was not the act of terminating it. They chose to depersonalize the fetus, to see it as an amorphous residue, to say that it was only blood and tissue. And she goes on to say that she rejects that line of argumentation. For this reason... She, she says of those who made it, she says, she says, they knew it. They knew that those children were, were life in the womb. She says, but my patients who made the choice to have an abortion also knew they were making the right one. A decision so vital it was worth stopping the heart. Sometimes they felt a great sense of loss, of possibility. In the, major, in the majority of cases, they felt a great sense of relief and the power that comes from taking responsibility for one's own life. She says people know that it's life. Many of her patients understood this is life, but yet it is a decision, it is a decision that they made because whatever, for whatever reason, it was worth stopping that heart. Does that make us draw back? Does that make us draw back and understand why we would say that America as a nation is highly committed by law and practice to a form of mass murder? 54 million children, that number's higher than that now, since 1973 have been aborted. Why? Why have children been, abor been aborted? Convenience? For whatever reason, I don't want to have that child. 
I want to be sexually active, but I don't want a child. Or I don't want a child with those issues. See, it all really comes down to choice. And no one having the right to tell me what I can or cannot do. Mary Elizabeth Williams wrote for Salon.com an article entitled, So What If If Abortion Ends Life? She says, now when we on the pro-choice side get cagey about the life question, it makes us illogically contradictory. She says, I have friends who refer to their abortion in terms of scraping out a bunch of cells. And then a few years later, we're, we're... were exuberant over the pregnancies that they unhesitatingly described in terms of the baby and this kid. I know women who have been relieved at their abortions and grieved over their miscarriages. Why can't we agree that how they felt about their pregnancies was vastly different? But, that's, but, but that it's pretty silly to pretend that what was growing inside of them wasn't the same. Fetuses aren't selective like that. They don't qualify as human life only if they're intended to be born. Here's the complicated reality in which we all live. That's a difficult thing for liberals like me to talk about. Lest we end up looking like death panel loving, kill your grandma and your precious baby stormtroopers. Yet a fetus can be a human life without having the same rights as a woman in whose body it resides. She's the boss. Her life and what is right for her circumstances and her health should automatically trump the rights of the non-autonomous entity inside of her. Always. See, we read a lot about her rights, but not the child's rights. We know it's life. Of course we know it's life. That's why we grieve miscarriages. That's why we're excited about, 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 about the, the expectation. But yet we can talk about abortion as if it's just a bunch of, of cells. It's the world that we live in. That's the evil that we live in. What can we do? I think that's a very real question. Well, well, one, one, we can speak up for God and the unborn. We've got to have the conversation. Sometimes I wonder um, in lessons like this. Well, I mean, we have, we have children in the audience, right? And so I've, I've this could be this could be much much more graphic than we have been, but. But I still am very aware that there are young people in the audience. This might even lead to some conversations at home that will be uncomfortable for you. I, I do understand that. But, but we need to be forming a society that is repelled by these things. Our young people need to grow up and, and know, oh, that's not something I would ever do. As certainly as I want my kids to grow up, understand that, that the idea of taking a gun in, in, into a school somewhere and shooting somebody up is, is a, moral, a moral, repugnant idea. Don't you want your children to, to be repelled by that idea? Shake your head up and down, right? I want them to feel the same way about abortion. When they say, is that an option? No, that's not an option. We don't do those things. God's people don't do those things. We don't take life that God has given. That's not my place. That's not my place. We must speak up for God and we must speak up for the unborn. When people talk about the choices that they're making in their body, I'm just going to tell you what's so often missing is the life of that child and somebody needs to be pointing it out. What about the human being that exists within you? That doesn't make these things easy. These things are not easy. 
These things are not easy. But there's still life that is there. A gift that's been given to you. I think about the passage in Exodus chapter 1 and verse 17. You remember when the Hebrew midwives were told to murder the male children that were born? Lest we get caught up talking about about children with special needs, do we understand that one of the reasons that, that abortion goes on all throughout this world is because of sex selection? Do we understand that there's evidence that some of those things are even going on in our, in our society? Even in recent years, there have been some laws that people have attempted to pass to make that illegal. And do you know people have objected to laws like that being given? That the idea that it should be illegal for aborting a child because, do you know, do you know what those children have done? Jamie, you know what they've dared to be? Doreen, you know what they've dared to be? A girl. That's real. Because they wanted a boy. Isn't that sickening? That's what was going on there in Exodus chapter 17. And there, was, there was motivation behind it. But in Hebrews, in, in Exodus chapter 1 and verse 17, but, this was going on in their culture, but the midwives feared God. Why, why, why are there over 600,000 abortions in our, in our world today? Every year? Because people don't fear God. Because people do what they want to do when they want to do it. But they, but, they, but they feared God. And they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. But they saved the male children alive. I, I don't like sermons like this. I don't like talking about these things publicly. But you know, every, every time that I start to think about it, I always think, why are we not talking about it more? Why are we not talking about it more? Because there are people that are being killed every day. If that was going on... If that was going on in our culture, no matter what the media thinks about that, should not, should not the church be outraged by those things? Should not godly people be outraged by those things? We, we, we need to be involved socially. How do we help people? It's not enough just to say, you shouldn't do those things. Those things are ugly. Those things are sinful. Galatians 6 and verse 10 says, To Christians, as we have opportunity to let us do good to all, we, we need to be working in whatever ways we can. That's not as easy as it sounds either. Let me just tell you, I've, try, I've tried to give some help in, in some of these situations, and it was, it was hard to actually help people. But where we have opportunity, we ought to be seizing on those things. We ought to be seizing on those things. Here's one. We, we need to vote. We, 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 need, we need to be led. We talk about our nation and our government. Can I tell you? Turn your Bibles to Romans 13. I don't, this is, no, this is not about politics. But, and so when I talk about voting, can I tell you that I'm, I'm not convinced, I'm not convinced in my own mind that who you vote for actually does make any difference in this arena. I'm not convinced of that fact. Because let me tell you, over the last 50 years, we've had a lot of different politicians of a lot of different persuasions. And you know what we've had every year for the last 50 years? Abortion. Okay, so I'm I'm not I'm I'm just I'm really not sure about that, but I do know that abortion is still here, and whether whether it makes the difference or not. By the way, we're about to see some of those things in our world today. If you if you've been watching the news and and things of that, whether that really makes a difference. But I think when it comes to politicians, we just need to take them at their word. 
Which means you're going to have to evaluate the words of individual politicians, right? We need to take them at their word. And when someone tells us, and this is what's happening more and more today, okay? When, when politicians actually tell us that if you fail to vote for them, then the right to an abortion is going to be threatened? I didn't make that up. That's what the politicians are telling people. If they tell me that that's what's going to happen, I promise you I will fail to vote for you. When someone says, uh, you got to put me in there because I'm going to fight for the right to abort children, that's not what everybody's saying, but that is what some say. I will fail to vote for that person. And my Christianity will guide that choice. We say, well, what about this idea of, of legislating morality? You get caught up in that? Have we read Romans 13? That, that one of the purposes of government itself, and whether it fulfills this or not, I do not know, whether we're talking about the Roman government or our, or our, or our republic here in this nation, one of the purposes that God has placed government in, in, as, a, as an entity is actually to legislate things that are right and are wrong. That's why he tells us to be in submission to them. Romans 13 and verse 2, Therefore he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause for fear, for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do, do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, you understand evil is a moral term, right? If you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. God did not place government, God did not create government just to tax man. Okay, now the government may tax man, it will, does tax man, but the purpose of government, the purpose of government is to be, is to be God's hand, is to bear the sword, to be a minister of God, to bring wrath on ones who practice evil. So can we legislate morality? Well, one, we do it all the time, but two, that's what government's supposed to be doing. And I don't want to live in a theocracy either, I don't think that's what he's saying. But understand, that that's, that's, that's not where we need to be. Okay, let's think of some others. We need to promote sexual morality. We need to promote sexual morality. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 18, the Bible says, flee sexual immorality. We need to be teaching these things amongst our young people. We need to be teaching these things into the world that, truthfully, that marriage is not only between a man and a woman, but that is the only appropriate place for the sexual relationship. The marriage bed undefiled. What happens if we teach that? What happens if we, if we do away with, 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 Ill, with illicit sexual, sexual immorality? Illicit, I might have put too many ills in there. But, but, but what, happens, what happens if premarital sexual, sexual activity goes away? Or sex outside the bonds of marriage? What do you think that does to abortion? What, what do you think that does to the murder of children? But yet we live in the world, we live in this world where the idea, where the idea that, that the sexual relationship is going to be confined to, the, to marriage, it's almost laughable. 
go ahead and talk, talk to our young people. Talk to our young people about the world that they live in. Talk to our college students about the world that they live in. You guys ready to go on to VSU's campus and start, start, you know, I'm sure that there's no premarital sex that goes on at VSU, right? Right? Or pick your high school. Or, unfortunately, pick your middle school. Right? Or pick your whatever. We have to be a light. I'm telling you, I'm telling you that these things have not come from nowhere. And one of the places, one of the places that this form of mass murder has come from is a rampant amount of sexual immorality. We, we could say more about all of these. We must promote God's view of children. We must promote God's view of children. The psalmist said in Psalm 127, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of a womb is a reward. It's not a plague. It's not a curse. There are curses in this world. There are plagues in this world. But children are not fitting into that category. You, when you go back and you listen to, to the, the, the arguments made from Roe Ro versus Wade uh, over 50 years ago, do we understand that, that really the whole argumentation, it wasn't about life at that point, that, that, that the argumentation was really about equal rights, that women need to be equal to men? And the argumentation that was put forth, and by the way, by the way, I could show you some things that have come forth even this last year that have echoed this, Olympic athletes that have pushed on these things. But the, but the whole idea, the whole argumentation was that women can never be equal to men unless they are capable of being equally not pregnant. That's why people said we have to have abortion rights so that I can be not pregnant. Because if, because if, I, if I have to be pregnant, then I, can't, I don't have the freedom that a man has. That's the line of reasoning. What are they saying? This child's messing up my life. This child's messing up my life. Let me just tell you, and, and you may talk about the freedom that a man has to impregnate a woman and go about his own. That's sin if a man does that. Is that right? If, if, a, man, if a man gets gets someone pregnant and he walks away, that's sinful. The solution is not just to say, well, we'll just, we'll just kill all the babies. That came from the devil. And we might have believed it. We've got to promote what the Bible says. Children are a blessing. Does, does that mean children aren't, aren't difficult? Or they can't be really complicated in your life? You children complicate your life, guys? Shake your head up and down. <laughs> right? I mean, it's just, it's, they do complicate life. Let me ask you this. Would you, would you trade your children if you could do, get rid of the complications? Now, there's some days I like to get rid of the complications, son, right? But I wouldn't give up my son to get rid of the complications. They're totally worth it. It's a blessing from God. We have to teach that. And not only teach it, we have to start believing that. We have to start believing that. This is a blessing from God. Let me give, let me give you one more. I know our time is, is running short. We, we need to be developing fellowship in the church. We need to be developing fellowship in the church. What, what does it have to do with abortion? So many times abortion comes out of people's lives when they feel like they are all alone. I have nowhere to turn. I have no options. No one will ever love me. No one will ever understand. I've just, I've just got to do this thing. 
It's my only way out. And if, let me speak to us. If, if we feel that way about anything, about anything or any subject, then there is a failing of the nature of the church. God, God designed the church to be made up of brothers and sisters that are bearing one another's burdens. Paul said in Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2, Brethren, if a man is overtaken and trespassed, you are spiritual. Restore such a one. Consider yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We've got to work on this fact so, so, so that when someone comes up pregnant and they've made some real mistakes and sin in their life, that, that they know that they can turn to their brothers and their sisters and, and that they're going to be cared for. And that people are not only going to be willing to forgive them, but people are going to be willing to walk with them down that, down that journey. I mean, somewhere, we, we, we come from this point in society where people, people got pregnant outside of wedlock and they had to go away. I'm going to tell you what, they didn't need to go away. They needed to go to the church. But we got to work on that. Because if my only relationship with you is I wave at you on Sunday morning, how likely, how likely are we to confess our deepest, darkest sins? Not very. So I truly believe that one of the things we can do, for many issues, but in particular this one, is that we must develop fellowship in the church. And I'd like to hear your thoughts about some of those things. What, what, my, my, my topic is not just about abortion, but any time that we think about these things, it is to think about Christ and His church and His grace and His mercy. I'm just telling us that when we understand sin, it means that one day judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming on those who abort their babies. Judgment is coming on the doctors who have aborted babies. Judgment is coming on people who have encouraged the murder of babies. I don't think those are even controversial statements. Here's the good news. Here's the good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ came into the world to bear the burden of our sin. So, so, that, so that sin, maybe... Maybe there are some of you in this audience who, who, have, who have made a, the terrible mistake of ending a life, and it's haunted you. I, I don't doubt that would be the case. Matter of fact, I'd be shocked if that wasn't the case. But to know that Jesus can forgive you. Jesus can help you to overcome those things. Maybe you find yourself with child not knowing what direction to turn. Do you know that Jesus still loves you? That, that, that Jesus, he, he, when He went to the cross, He knew about, about, that, about that terrible, sinful thing you were going to do with that individual outside of marriage. Jesus will forgive. Do, do we understand that those children who have been lost, millions of children, do, do you know where they're at today? It's a, this is really a beautiful thought. Do you know where they're at? There's... Right there in the arms of Jesus. They're safe. And, and even as a Christian, what, what will it be like one day to be reunited with the son, with the daughter that, that, that you never knew? Listen, that's only possible through Jesus. That's only possible through Jesus. Without Jesus, there'll be an eternal separation between me and that child, you and that child. But with Jesus, there will be a great reunion. That's the good news. That's the gospel. 
That's what people need to hear. We, we must be the light of the world. Reflecting the light of Jesus. He calls us to be that as we stand against morality. And as we cling. As we cling and we promote His righteousness. Friends, that invitation is to whoever would have ears to hear it this morning. Let us be the light of the world. Let us be the light by responding to be baptized into Christ. Let us respond to repent of sin in our life. Let us bring our burdens and let us allow our brethren to share them with us in the Lord. You come this morning as we stand and as we sing.